Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. I don't know if you've noticed, <clears throat> but there are so many programs on TV about restoring old, broken stuff. Personally, I don't watch them, but I've noticed there are loads of them. There's Repair Shop, there's Restoration Home, there's Restoration Workshop, Salvage Hunters, Wreck Rescue, American Restoration, Project Restoration, Garden Rescue, and loads of others as well. One that I remember from a number of years ago that I used to watch with my three sons was a slightly different principle, but it was called Scrap Heap Challenge. It was great fun. We had two teams of three competing against each other. Each team had an expert, and they had what seemed like an almost impossible task that they were given. One time they would be given the task of going to this scrap heap, getting bits and pieces and making a cannon out of it. Another time, making a powerboat out of it. Another time, to make, a, to make an off-road vehicle. It was absolutely extraordinary. What if I told you <clears throat> that God can take the biggest people wrecks and restore them? On a rather bigger scale, there are today some huge projects designed to try and make an impact on climate, on the natural world, to try and restore and renew this precious resource that we seem to be wasting all the time. And one of the huge ones, as well as plastics and emissions and wildlife conservation, one of the huge ones at the moment is the Great Green Wall. don't know if you've heard of that. It's an almost 5,000-mile zone of trees that are being planted across the continent of Africa. And when completed, I think they've done 15% so far, it's going to be the largest living structure on the planet, trying to restore, renew the planet What if I told you that God can take your most toxic situation and renew it? Well, Isaiah 61 that we've been looking at in the last number of weeks announces God's great program to rebuild, restore, and renew his people from the scrap heap of their own making. See, his people in that context are in exile, or they will soon be, and Isaiah's words come to them in their desperation, in their despondency, when their cities are in ruin, when the temple especially has been razed to the ground. It's utter disgrace for them. And Isaiah comes and speaks God's word and says, God has not forgotten you. You are remembered. There are purposes and plans for you. I'm going to do great things for you, and I'm going to do great things through you in time. And as it's been a couple of weeks, I want to just quickly retrace where we've got to in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3. So far, we started, or Isaiah 61 starts with an announcement of who this great redeemer and restorer is going to be. It begins like this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me. That's who this is all about, which we come to know as Jesus in time. And then there's why, the reason why he's come, the reason why he's been anointed and sent is to proclaim good news to the poor. And then you get what? Isaiah then elaborates on what good news to the poor means in a whole bunch and variety of other terms. He says he's been sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. Amazing 
piling up of terms there to describe what good news to the poor will mean. And then we get the joyful, transforming result of all of that expressed in three insteads in verse 3. He says this, he's going to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This anointed one is coming to do the most extraordinary restoration project in his people. And then we pause and we, it's like we take a little breath at the end of verse 3 because what he does for them means a new identity for them. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And now this morning we're at part 5 and there's a change, a really significant change in the passage, because up to this point, it's all been about what God will do for his people through the anointed one and what they will be. But now there's a big change. It's what they will do. So verse four, our section for this morning says this, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and they will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. That's a significant change there. And just a little, a little note here, a little side note to say there are three phrases there that we just read. It's not really describing three different things. It's a tool in Hebrew poetry. It's called parallelism, where you sort of state something and then state it slightly differently and then state it slightly differently. It's like emphasizing what's going to happen rather than making three different statements, Hebrew parallelism. But it's a picture, a remarkable picture of hope that must have really taken some believing. Imagine if you were in the depths of despair in exile, wondering if anything good would ever happen to your nation again, and you read this, you hear of this again. Must have taken some believing. We mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Psalm 133, sorry, 137 verse 1 expresses how they were feeling at the time in exile in Babylon. It says this, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. They were so despondent. They were a nation in disgrace. And worse of all, their God was disgraced and shamed by what had happened to their people. For many of the Israelites in Babylon, it was all they'd ever known. But they did return. God worked a most remarkable story, and they did return. Tens of thousands of them returned back westward to Israel, quickly rebuilding the protective wall around Jerusalem, rededicating themselves to God, and eventually rebuilding the temple, most importantly. Things were coming back again. And in Psalm 126, verse 1, you get some sense of the joy that must have been overtaking them as they journeyed back. It says this, when the Lord restored the fortune of Zion, or when the Lord uh, brought back the captives, it also means we were like those who dreamed. They must have wondered, are we going to wake up from this amazing dream-like state that we are in? But they really did return. But what they struggled to do was really to rebuild effectively. They certainly couldn't recover the great days under kings like David and Solomon. And in time, as time went by, centuries went by, the Romans invaded, occupied the land, and there's another big pause. 
at the end of the Old Testament as we have it. There's a 400-year pause. And again, they must have wondered, when is this true deliverance and restoration and renewal going to come? And then one Sabbath, Jesus, who's been teaching around in the synagogues, he's becoming quite well known. He's in Nazareth this particular Sabbath, and he's invited to speak, and they hand him the scroll of Isaiah, this great long thing, and he unrolls it, and he finds this passage of scripture, Isaiah, what we know as chapter 61, and he reads it, and he sits down, and they're all watching him, thinking, something amazing is going on here. And he says, today, in your hearing, this is fulfilled. It's absolutely astounding. Jesus is announcing that all of the restoring, rebuilding, renewing that Isaiah 61 spoke about is happening in this day. Extraordinary. Restoration, renewal, rebuilding, but not any longer just for the nation of Israel in its land. The scope of Jesus is worldwide. He's including every nation. He was sent to be a light to the Gentiles too, to you and me and every nation on earth. And ever since, he's been restoring and rebuilding and renewing lives with the good news ever since. One person at a time. And he restores all sorts of people. It's good news to poor nobodies. Nobodies like me. Maybe that's how you feel as well. That's fine. I'm a bit of a nobody. I was a nobody. I was 12 years old when I first said yes to Jesus. To my shame, I didn't do a lot with that for about four years. And then suddenly this Jesus became real to me. And he's restored and renewed and rebuilt my life life of my wife as well who I guess I really shouldn't call a nobody uh, but just ordinary kind of people like my wife who at the end of her A-level year picked up the Bible she was throwing out stuff from her A-level years like you do joyous moment at the end of A-levels she picked up the Bible and thought you can't throw a Bible away and so she started reading it and as she read it Jesus transformed renewed restored her life It's never been the same since then. It's good news to poor nobodies. It's good news as well to the famous poor or some who become famous. For example, Billy Graham, who became so famous, he became known as America's pastor. When he was 16 years old, there was a visiting speaker coming and doing a series of meetings in his town in the United States. And he wasn't particularly bothered. He certainly wasn't religious. But one night... He heard this guy speaking and he knew God was speaking to him. And he went forward to respond. He repented of his sin. He accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But he was a bit worried. I wonder if some of you who are following Jesus have wondered this. Nothing dramatic happened to him. He was a bit worried because he didn't react like others did in tears and so on. He says this, no bells went off inside me. I didn't have any tears. I didn't have any emotion. I didn't hear any thunder. There was no lightning. But right there, I made my decision for Christ. It was as simple as that. I simply felt at peace, quiet, not delirious, happy and peaceful. Sometimes it's like that. It's just very ordinary but it's a dramatic rebuilding of that life. And then it's good news as well to the infamous poor. 
You may never have heard of George Palmer. George Palmer lived in Melbourne in Australia. At the age of seven, his father died and he was completely devastated. And from that moment, he developed this hatred of God. He blamed God. He was violently angry towards God. And what it did was it led him to just want to hurt people. It was a way of expressing his anger. He got involved in gangs. He did some terrible stuff. And Billy Graham was doing a series of meetings in Australia in 1959. One of them was at the MCG, the cricket ground in Melbourne. And George Palmer decided, me and my gang, we're going. And they each took a gun, hidden of course, and they decided that when Billy Graham makes his appeal at the end, we are going to shoot him. They'd made this plan, they were absolutely dead serious. George Palmer is sitting there with his mates around, not next to him, but around in this meeting, and he suddenly hears a voice. What are you doing here, George? And he, he thinks, I don't recognize that voice. It, no one else knew him there. His mates were too far away. Couldn't be any of them. And he hears God talking to him. George, I never took your father away. He was so ill. You just hadn't realized quite what was going on. Well, George ends up in floods of tears. And as Billy Graham gives the call for people to say yes to Jesus, instead of running up there with his gun, he runs up there in floods of tears to repent and say sorry. And his life is turned around. And remarkably, nine of the ten of them that night start following Jesus. There is no ruin that God can't rebuild. There is no sinner he can't renew. There is no mess he can't restore, including yours. But remember, there was a change at verse 4 if we just jump back there. The change was this. They will rebuild. They will restore. They will renew. You see, here's an amazing thing. The people God restores and rebuilds and renews are those who will go on to rebuild and restore and renew. What God does in his people, he then plans to do through his people. And the sort of renewal that the Israelites were to be engaged in, I guess you could describe in these three ways as personal renewal. Renewal as a people and a broader, wider renewal as well. And the same would be true for us. That what God has done in us, he wants to do through us. He wants to use us to renew. And I think we can apply those three things to us too. Firstly, there's personal renewal. See, for the Israelites returning to their land so many miles away, true restoration in the land would only come through personal restoration and personal renewal. It wasn't just going to magically happen that they would arrive back in Israel and suddenly everything would be rebuilt and amazing. No, it was going to take a rededicated, renewed people to make that happen. And the same is true for us. The, the follower of Jesus has been restored. We're not trying to make ourselves right with God. We're receiving that by faith. We're accepting, Jesus, you've done it all. You make me right. I'm not trying to achieve that. But then there is a lifelong process of renewal. Because 
you and I know the muck of life gets attached to us over time. We, a couple of uh, years ago, two of our radiators in the living room were cold. And if a radiator's cold, when the heating is on, obviously, when the the heating's on and a radiator is cold at the top, it's easy. You just get a, a bleeding key and you turn it and let all the air out, tighten it, the radiator's nice and warm. But we had a couple of radiators that were cold at the bottom, which I was confused about, so I asked someone about it. And essentially what happened is that over the years, just muck in the system, especially in hard water areas like this, muck in the system just goes round and round and accumulates at the bottom of some radiators, particularly on the ground level, I guess. So our two radiators were cold at the bottom, just not doing their job. It was just an accumulation of sludge over the years. So we called a plumber, got them in, they washed, took the radiators off, washed the sludge out, and now they work. I think that's not a bad picture of what the Christian has to do. Personal renewal is an ongoing thing. The sludge of life gets attached to us and we need to get rid of it. And I wonder if that's true for you today. I wonder what's clogged up for you this morning. Maybe your relationship with God just feels full of sludge. Maybe there's some other key relationship with someone that's just sludgy and needs a bit of renewal and restoring. Maybe your marriage is full of sludge. Maybe your engagement with church just feels very lethargic and sludgy at the minute, understandably so perhaps. And your prayer might be, God, please rebuild. Please renew this relationship. God, please restore my walk with you. And he will do that. But it is also very true to say that even of personal renewal, it's also they will build. And they will rededicate themselves to God in order to see this happen. It's a partnership, you see. As much as we pray, God, please will you, he's asking us to engage with the process, to do the hard work of forgiving, of spending time, of repenting, of making good decisions, of putting others first. So please do pray, God, please fix this. Please restore, rebuild, renew this. And I'll do whatever is needed on my part to help make that happen. Please renew me. It must come first. We'll give a chance to pray about that at the end. Personal renewal. What about church renewal? You see, Isaiah 61 was never about just personal, you know, know, just individuals getting right. That's never been God's plan, is just to have isolated individuals being restored and rebuilt and renewed in him. His whole purpose is to have a people who will declare his great name, in whom his splendor is displayed. And so following Jesus' return to his Father, this is the issue that the New Testament takes up. These letters, these instructions take up. How can the church not just be a bunch of individuals, but how can it be renewed, reformed, restored, continually being renewed in the Word and the Spirit? That's what it's about. And there is a sense in which, well, only God can do that. Absolutely right. You get things like this in the Bible that make that point very clear. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And Jesus, of course, famously said to his disciples, I will build my church. Absolutely. 
But each of us has a part to play too. They will build. We will build. We have our part to play. Let me give you one very quick, short example. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is writing about the use of spiritual gifts. And he says, since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Each of us say, Lord, please build your church. And at the same time, I think he whispers to us and says, and you play your part. You build what only you can build. If you turn over from Isaiah 61 to Isaiah 62, you get an incredible invitation. It says this, you who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Translate that into New Testament times. The invitation still exists, I'm sure. Give yourselves no rest. Build this church community so that God is greatly displayed in it. And give him no rest. It's an interesting invitation, isn't it? It's as if give God no rest from your prayers and your cries to him. It's a partnership. God, will you do what only you can do? And he whispers to us, and you do what only you can do in this partnership. And even under lockdown, in these restricted, weird times, I wonder what you can do to help build this community, to see it restored, renewed, as it needs to continually be. You might be able to contact some people. You might be able to express some care. We were massively blessed Thursday, Friday, to have two meals delivered. Jackie just got back from being with her mum because her dad's just died and two families in the church made us meals. Absolutely amazing. That renews us and restores us a little bit. There might be people you can encourage. You certainly can pray. Personal renewal, church renewal. And finally, we're to rebuild, restore and renew the community where each of us touches it. You see, what God does in his people, he plans to do through his people. The good news that the church hears with its ears and believes in its heart flow through its hands and its feet to serve its community. Let me read you this little bit from a guy called Rodney Stark. He's not a Christian, but he's written about the rise of Christianity. How was it that Christianity took off and spread so broadly? And he's got a bunch of reasons. Here's part of his conclusion. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope in these early centuries. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. Why did Christianity take off? Well, let me tell you, one reason is it's true. Another reason is the way it served the community. That's God's plan, what he's done in his people, he wants to do through his people. And we're planning, trying to do some of that through this facility here. One major thing is changing the basic use of this place from renting income to being used as a community hub. That's our hope, that's our desire. Partnering with Safe Families, Teen Challenge, having things like treasure happen in this place. We want to make a difference to the community. 
Because of what God's done in us, we want good news to go out to the poor. But don't just sit back and wait for the organization to do it. Where do you touch the community? Be good news to the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. Comfort those who mourn. Week by week, you are still, even in lockdown, touching the community. You are God's answer of good news there. There's a guy by the name of Daryl Williams. He was 33 when he uh, mentioned this. He lived in Houston in the United States. And day by day, he lived for alcohol. And when he could get it, for heroin, for cocaine, sorry. He said, I was going down like the Titanic. I was in and out of jail, on and off probation. And then during one six-month jail term, Williams began to seek God for deliverance and eventually came to Christ. And for the past 16 years, a drug-free and alcohol-free Williams has served as the coordinator of his church's cocaine deliverance ministry, meeting with 10 to 30 people in recovery three evenings a week. And early on, the pastor said this to him. When God saved you and blessed you, Daryl, he didn't have you in mind. He had other folks in mind. Now, I disagree that he didn't have Daryl in mind, but I get the point. It wasn't just that what God had done in you was going to be great. It's what God was going to do through you that he planned and purposed as well. Restoring, rebuilding, renewing. That's the offer of Jesus in this amazing passage. And it's his offer to the world through his people. I think it'd be great just to pray quickly as we finish. Let me ask you a couple of questions to help with that. Where, where are you saying, God, please renew me? Maybe you want to gather that thought up in your mind. Let me ask you as well, where, where can you lay your hand? They will build to the process of developing, restoring, renewing, rebuilding, strengthening this church. And where will you be with your community this week so that you can rebuild, restore, and renew those that you meet? Folks, there's work to do. There's a community to touch. That is God's heart. Maybe whatever helps you, maybe you just want to close your eyes or just have a think. Which of those is your cry this morning? Which of those is the Holy Spirit nudging in your heart? Let's gather that up. Let's pray. God, we seek your renewing power. Ask it for yourself. Ask it for your community. Holy Spirit, we bring all these requests to you and say, will you please restore, rebuild, renew? your people and through us we pray for a dynamic impact in the communities where we touch them from here and from everybody associated with city gate we say lord please be glorified may we display your splendor as we take good news to the poor amen